welcome to the History Voyager, a podcast about history. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to mine. Where is this crazy podcaster taking us? Where exactly are we going? Didn't I sign up for a podcast talking about the Spanish flu? I can hear this now literally ringing out across the globe. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The little podcast that could has a global audience, and it's truly humbling. Well, where is the crazy podcaster taking us? Uh, Well, I'll tell you. When I started this podcast, I wanted to do a deep dive into the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. And in doing that, there was some really, I guess, I don't know what you want to call them. Uh, we'll, We'll go with the word bizarre, but there were some bizarre parallels between you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic of 1918. There are some key differences too, but there was also shocking similarities between 1918 and 2020. One of the biggest, and I think for me personally, most shocking parallels was the fact that certain people, even being that we live in this scientific revolution and we live in this day and age when mass literacy and essentially were a lot better educated on the whole than we were in 1918 or than they were in 1918. But there was a whole lot of people in 2020 that just, I don't know, I don't know how to say it. They they simply almost chose not to believe the doctors. I guess they're still happening. They're choosing not to believe the doctors. And there was actually a historian that I'm in contact with on uh, Twitter who actually essentially made this parallel between this book that he did, which talks about the, the different groups that settled the United States, and he calls them the tribes of America, and, and what's going on. And I don't know that I agree with that totally. Um I think a lot of what's happening is that essentially we came out of this basically from World War II until basically, if you want to say, November or whenever, of this sunshine and happiness period in this country for an awful lot of people. And now we're coming out of that, and you have to be, you have to think critically. Let's, let's say that. You have to think critically. And then another historian that that I keep up with on Twitter, he made the point, honestly, we don't have the research yet on what happens with all these people who depend on social media for essentially their news diet. Like, we don't have the research on the cognitive effects of that. And we don't have the cognitive research too much on whether or not the human brain, specifically the American human brain, can distinguish between propaganda and actual news. 
and that's because for a lot of people, we were just taught that propaganda doesn't really happen in this country. Well, one of the contributions that some historians have made is they've, they've caused people to essentially rethink what propaganda can be. Like, yes, you can have propaganda from a government. We always knew that. But can you have propaganda from a multinational corporation? Can you have propaganda from, say, I don't know, ExxonMobil, or say, Twitter, or Facebook, or whoever? And, you know, you think about that. At least I do. But then I thought, as I'm slugging along through the, you know, this parallel between COVID-19 and the Spanish flu, I felt my own, I guess, my own bias and also my own sort of my own thinking in, in some of these measures change. I mean, I've, I've literally seen in myself, there have been some, I've had a lot of changes in my own mind about what is and is not possible. You know, I, I freely admit, I think I was wrong to think that America could stay, essentially stay closed for as long as the medical professionals seem to think is a good idea. And I think part of that is just in our cultural makeup. And I also think there's a whole lot of it that's essentially, essentially, basically, we, we have to work. Unlike a lot of these, uh, our so-called peer countries, which, you know, are essentially paying people to stay in, our government really isn't doing that. For better or worse, they expect us to go out and earn, and earn our keep. And I'm not judging that one way or the other right now. I'm saying it, it's true. It's just the, the way it is. Now, do I wish people would stay in? Yes, I certainly do. But I understand. I see that you really can't. And it, it even gets to silly levels where you, you start to see like, well, I think I should be able to go to the games. Or look, the governor opened up the bars and so therefore I need to go to the bar and you know I get that some people might not live in the best position you know some people might not like the people they live with or whatever some people might start to feel a little claustrophobic and they need to get out I understand that but I'm, I'm saying that we might not be used to thinking for ourselves the parallel has always been 9-11. Like that's, that's the parallel most people think of with this. And with that, you know, America was asked to go shopping. I literally remember George W. Bush sitting in the Oval Office and asking Americans to go out and go shopping and do it as though it was a political act, as though, you know, the terrorists aren't going to win because here we are shopping and this is normal. And... As appropriate as that might have been for the time, you know, to get America out of what was legitimately kind of a shock, I don't think that that's what's called for here. And I also don't think, and this is something that I think technology is to blame for, that our modern technology is to blame for, is I think our modern technology has really shrunk our attention span a great deal. And I honestly think that most Americans honestly can't even fathom a year from now, you know, let alone a couple of months from now. 
But when you're back up to the levels of the coronavirus you were before the lockdown, you know, you, you have to start asking, was the lockdown worth it? Did it actually accomplish anything? Well, it was fractured, and obviously not everybody could abide by it or even did abide by it. So in a lot of ways, I think the virus is, is showing us who we are. Now, I've said that before, but I think the difference is the more I think about the virus, and this is what I want to say in this podcast, the more I think about the virus and consider the virus, the more it's obviously showing me that we are separating from the Enlightenment principles on which we were founded. And I'm here to tell you that I basically categorically think that's a terrible thing. Because the Enlightenment wasn't just some philosophy that just these people Frankensteined up. It was a toolkit. And it was a toolkit that the entire civilized world has basically used to drag itself out of oppression. Now, was it a perfect toolkit? No. Was it made by perfect people? Of course not. But it was a toolkit. And it's been used by lots and lots of people you know, for lots and lots of different ideas. I mean, you, you think about the world before the Enlightenment, and you look at the world today, and basically, they're very, very different. And it's essentially because of the Enlightenment. And I think that the Enlightenment has essentially basically become, however faded, the background radiation to our country, to our society. And we basically see it as not even the furniture, as much as the foundational paint on the wall, which means we don't even really see it, and therefore we take it for granted. And all these people that claim that the Enlightenment was created by dead white slave owners, they don't, you know, as valid a point as that might be for some people, they're not really thinking of what would be after that. And that's what I'm worried about. What is after that? Because every other country that was founded without Enlightenment principles, every single one eventually devolved into a dictatorship or had some sort of brutal civil war because human beings wish to be rational. That was one of the foundational discoveries in the Enlightenment was that human beings, on the whole, wish to be rational. At least that's what we were always taught. And then I started thinking about this thing that just sort of hit me, was I'm coming to the end of this Spanish flu deep dive, believe it or not, and I'm thinking, what do I want to cover next? And I went back and forth about, do I want to cover the Anglo-Zulu War? And yes, I do, and I hope you... Stick around for the Anglo-Zulu War. It's really fascinating. But the thing I saw that was more important wasn't anything that I, in my own mind, it was something I was noticing with the videos that I was seeing on social media and also with basically people in my family uh, were talking. And I thought, you know... We're reliant on our leaders in a way the Founding Fathers never intended. And that's not a good or a bad thing, and it's not a partisan thing. You know, because it cuts across both sides. 
you know, but we're reliant on our leaders a lot more than we ever used to be. We, no, nobody alive remembers a day when we weren't reliant on our leaders for some kind of knowledge. I mean, all you have to do is think back to the FDR fireside chats, and I don't think anybody living right now remembers the FDR fireside chats. But I thought, you know, the the writers, the framers of the Constitution and the, the framers of the Enlightenment on which the Constitution is somewhat based never really intended for Joe Public, if I can use that term, to be dependent on the leaders for knowledge. They wanted the leaders to be able to lead a country and the people to think independently. And then I started looking around, and the more I looked around, the more that kind of that thought marinated in my brain, the more I looked around and the more I saw examples of that everywhere. And I thought, what I really need to do is talk to people and tell people about the Enlightenment and tell people that really reassure them that actually, no, it's not one side or the other is getting us away from the Enlightenment. It's that we as a society are moving away from the Enlightenment into a, a thing which might be okay in the end and it might not. But the fact is that it's not the Enlightenment and our institutions, for better or worse, our institutions were created in Enlightenment principles. Even the modern ones were essentially created as though the Enlightenment is still going around because they were created, at least in name only, with the Constitution in mind, which definitely was part of the Enlightenment. And the more I started thinking about this, the more I thought about it, and the more I thought, you know, my audience, you know, no matter what their expertise in life is, they might not be aware of the philosophical groundings of the United States and also the Western world. And then I was seeing the protests, which I want to differentiate between the protests and the riots. I see these people, these people, and they, they seem to think, whether they realize it or not, they seem to think the Enlightenment was a bad idea. And I don't think some of them even think that. I don't think that some of them overtly think that. But I do think it happens. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I need to talk about the Enlightenment. And I need to talk also, I want to give you guys a, a sort of a primer in government theory and talk to you guys about when you hear somebody say liberal, what, what does that mean? What does liberal mean? What does a leftist mean? What is the difference between a liberal and a leftist? What is the difference between a Marxist and a fascist? What is the difference between conservative and liberal? What is the difference between, you know, neoliberalism and what was before neoliberalism? Because there was a before neoliberalism. Neoliberalism is, is relatively new on the scene in governmental theory. And what are some of the effects of neoliberalism and why was neoliberalism sort of a thing why was it allowed to be a thing because here's the thing that I have a bias in 
I have a bias in the idea that human beings, if left up to their own devices, are essentially going to govern themselves the way they wish to govern themselves, if left up to their own devices. Now, here's the thing that you need to understand. I think some of these principles, some of these ideas, were perfectly fine for a certain group of people, whoever they were, you know, when they were Frankensteined up. And I think, in fact, I know, I, you know, and I'll show you in the next season, that some of these ideas have been zombified, to use, a, I guess, a, a modern cliche. They've, they've essentially been zombified and, and just sort of lurching forward and maybe to the detriment of actually most people. And I think there was another marked marked similarity between the 1918 flu and the 2020 you know coronavirus pandemic which essentially was there was a technological shift there had been this technological shift in the recent past in both cases and the elites in either case in the, in the 1918 case, it was much more so. But the elites, in I, the elites in either case simply were not either capable of, of dealing with that or did not think about it in a serious manner. And I really, really think that was a serious and detrimental similarity. And I think there's an awful lot of people that alive today who have never really been adults during something like this, when the knowledge is this cutting edge, when the facts on the ground and the facts by the experts can change week to week or every two weeks. And something that people say to me, you know, both online and in person, is, well, Ben, this isn't very, uh, you know, the coronavirus isn't terribly contagious and, and things and what I would say is God I hope you're right and I would also say the other thing I would say is this I would say honest to God what this is showing me is if we're doing this for the coronavirus and something came along that was as contagious as say the bubonic plague or something like that we would be screwed we would be absolutely screwed. This Think of this as a dress rehearsal. And essentially notice what we're seeing. And see that you can't convince people not to go out and have fun. And I get the whole going to work thing. I understand that. And I understand that some of those people, when other people want to have fun, have to have that job. But let's understand that there's a whole lot of people that at this point in time are looking at going out and having fun as essentially an act of basically a political act. And I don't mean that in terms of I vote for this party or that party, but it's as though you're, you're consciously trying to save your community. And as sad or as not sad or as whatever as that is, I look at that and I think, you know, 
if this thing were something else, would we be able to emotionally handle it? I, you know, forget the science, forget, you know, the medical expertise and all this. If you had to stay home because something could kill you, you could get something in the morning and be dead by evening. If you had to stay home, emotionally, would you be able to do that? And not just for a week and not just for a month and not for two months. And the reason I bring this up, and this is very important, is that virologists and epidemiologists and biologists and basically any other ologist you can think of that knows about viruses and does viruses for a living tell us that viruses change generationally often as often as two weeks. So this thing is actually a different animal or a different thing, so to say, and I'm using the term animal figuratively, obviously, but it's a different thing than it was when it started. And the other thing they say is the more people that get this thing, the more it changes and the more rapidly it changes. Now, the thing I want to stress is that we haven't been aware of coronavirus for a very long time. So we don't actually know what this thing is going to turn into. We don't know if it's going to become something with neurological involvement that really it's kind of hard to die from, relatively speaking, even though it is killing more people in a few months than the flu kills in a year. And that's a killer flu. So, I mean, you know, my, my thing here is be careful. Be very, very careful. And let's remember that the thing we need to do to, you know, stay safe here is to basically wear a mask. Which brings me to an interesting point. Being free is analogous to being an adult. And a lot of being an adult is doing things you don't want to do with a smile on your face. Being free means you can't be foolish or stupid. And that's something we need to get back to. We need to call stupidity out when we see it. Freedom is not freedom to be an overgrown toddler or freedom from inconvenience. Indeed, I, I would suggest that our founding fathers would find much of our life very convenient and would be appalled at the idea that some people honestly see just, you know, inconvenience as just too much to bear, like this cross that you have to bear. I think that the idea of relativism, which I'm going to get into in the second season, and the idea that, you know, we should question validity wherever possible, that we should question expertise wherever possible, I think these ideas got out of the lab and I think we're starting to see the basically the effects of that and that it can be dangerous and deadly. I saw reactions from two different groups of people along the lines of cultural relativism and I thought this is so anti-enlightenment and I should really try to educate people because that's what I want to do with this podcast is I want to educate so I should try to educate people and fortify them in the age of the Enlightenment. 
But the whole reason I'm making this episode of this podcast, the whole reason I decided to do the Enlightenment in Season 2, the entire reason I decided to, to do that, was on the same day I saw this video on Twitter that was astonishing. I saw a video of an older gentleman trying to enter a Walmart without a mask on. And I saw the people in the Walmart, the employees in the Walmart, these minimum wage workers, just tell the guy, no, I'm sorry, we can't let you in because, you know, you're not wearing a mask and it's our store policy that you have a mask on. And I, I literally saw this older fellow, late 50s, early 60s maybe, literally try and assault these people just to try and run into the store. And that just astounded me. It was astounding. And I also saw these people literally as a part of the, I guess... I guess you'd call them part of the riot instead of the protest. I saw these people try and steal, or I guess carjack is the term, try and carjack this person's car. And the person, not knowing, you know, not being prepared for this, literally, you know, hit the guy, hit a guy, trying to evade. And I looked and I thought, what a bizarre time to be alive that somebody literally thinks that, you know, they're being put upon onerously for wearing a mask to the point where they feel it's okay to try and assault, you know, workers. Just, just wanting people to comply with the store policy. And also, the people, you know, this person trying to evade a carjacking and the people in the comments section of this person trying to evade a carjacking was a lot of these people were very sympathetic to the would-be carjackers and I, I kind of thought this is an astonishing time to be alive it's astonishing that I've lived as long as I have and and I've formed my brain as much as I have and here I am seeing the evidence of, of essentially what you might want to call polite society because this man in the Walmart, he certainly would wear shoes and a shirt, I assure you, you know. And also these people in the comments section, they never thought, I guarantee you, they literally would, would have never thought, what if that was me? Like they can't imagine themselves being harmed by would-be carjackers. And it just occurred to me that what's going on? Like, what this, this virus just happens to show us that it just takes a little bit just to push us over the edge. And not all of us, for sure, but, uh, you know, people in society. And also, I think some of it might actually be that with these telephones in our pocket, or I guess pocket computers, or I guess pocket video cameras, some of which have gotten quite good, actually, I must say, that now we're actually seeing without a filter, we're actually really, really seeing without a filter 
how people really are. And not people per se, but the outliers. How the outliers really are. And that maybe, maybe, maybe the outliers are more common than we've been led to believe. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because one of the key things about the Enlightenment, one of the key things that you learn about when you learn about the Enlightenment was how the Enlightenment essentially civilized people. It essentially, after a fashion, took people out of the late Middle Ages and brought them a whole lot closer to modernity. The flaw in that thinking, however, is that essentially the Enlightenment was essentially basically a, a, a movement of the elite. It was a movement by and for the elite, and the thinking in the Enlightenment didn't really trickle down to, I guess, the average European until much later, and therefore the average white Caucasian American. And, you know, various and sundry historians have done various and sundry amounts of work to be able to possibly show that in some cases the Enlightenment never got everywhere and it didn't get to certain people everywhere. But I sort of look at all this and I'm kind of thinking, this man who assaulted these people trying to enter a, a Walmart, if I stopped him and asked him about his thoughts on the Enlightenment, what would he tell me? And then I thought, well, if I stopped him and asked him what his thoughts were on the founding documents of the country, what would his thoughts be on that? And I'm sure he would have thoughts on that. And one of the thoughts I'm sure he would have would be that Walmart was being a tyrant or that somehow there was some tyrannical element that was basically forcing him to wear this mask. And maybe he would think that this was a lie or somewhat overblown. I don't know. But what I do know is that wearing a mask in the grand scheme of things is, is fairly minor. I mean, it's essentially like you're asking somebody to wear clothes, basically. It's kind of new. We've only really been wearing masks as a culture for a little while. But then again, to hear the doctors tell it, COVID-19 is going to stick around, at least until there's a virus. And some people even posit that, you know, maybe we need to plan for COVID-19 to stick around a while because who knows when they could have a vaccine. I mean, after all, AIDS, there hasn't been really a vaccine for that, you know, until recently. And that's been around for decades. I guess my point is that I'm looking at all of this and it just seems un-American to me both the positive reaction to the carjackers as well as this man's reaction to just being asked to wear a mask. And in World War II, people planted victory gardens and took up metal for recycling. So there, there's a tradition in this country for the sacrifice of the greater good. And it seems to me that some of us are getting away from that. And it also seems to me that we're getting away from our Enlightenment principles even in our own mind, even in our own thinking. And the thing is, the Enlightenment did found this country. This country was founded by people who were huge fans of the Enlightenment. And one of the things that the Enlightenment is supposed to have done is gifted reason to the common man. 
Now, there has been an ample amount of scholarship that basically questions that. But still, I'll bet you that man shoving those people at the Walmart, I, I bet he would have an opinion on the Enlightenment. And I wonder what it would be. I wonder if I said to him, the Enlightenment, more than the Constitution, when the Constitution was written, was seen as the important document by the Founding Fathers. What would his thoughts be on the science and the state of this disease? What would his thoughts be on whether or not people needed to wear a mask or whether or not the disease was even a thing? I mean, these were actually questions I had as I was watching him literally push grown people to the ground who were simply trying to get him to comply with the private businesses, basically, you know, code of dress to enter their store. And I assumed that he would have no problem with, say, shirt and shoes, or no profanity on your shirts and that kind of thing, or no drug paraphernalia on your clothing. So what was his deal with wearing a mask exactly? With the Enlightenment came the gift of scientific reason. It brought science out of the days of alchemy and into the days, or at least the closer days, of penicillin and the polio vaccine. What he would say then? What would he say if the Founding Fathers would most likely want us to listen to the doctors? Remember that one of our Founding Fathers was a doctor, Dr. Benjamin Rush. There was a cowpox epidemic during the Revolution. Abigail Adams had to rub the sores of dead people onto her, herself and her children. And it was a very traumatic experience for her and some of her children died, and basically all of them almost died. But I wonder what exactly the Founding Fathers would say to the idea that a mask, in addition to certain shoes being required in a private business. Remember that the Constitution doesn't govern exactly govern what private businesses can or cannot do. If a private business deems that you should wear a mask and you're in their store, then you should wear a mask in the store, just like people wear certain shoes for health reasons. I think the Founding Fathers, some of whom experienced actual tyranny in their real lives, which is why they fought the greatest military the world had ever seen, so they could be a free country, I think they would laugh at this man on a good day, and they would scold him on a bad day. I think they would tell people to trust in the doctors. Remember that Benjamin Rush was one of the founding fathers, and Thomas Jefferson, for all his attitudes about slavery and whatever else, was a genius and was an inventor and a lover of science. One of the main reasons he wanted Lewis and Clark to travel the Louisiana Purchase was because he was totally fascinated by what he might or might not find there. Science is in our DNA as a country. You look at Ben Franklin, who was renowned as a scientist on the eve of the revolution. He has many inventions that survive to this day, such as bifocals and the Ben Franklin stove. I've lived in a house with a Ben Franklin stove, and I'd much prefer it to a normal fireplace. 
It doesn't look uh, all that wonderful, but man, oh man, does it keep a room warm. The founding fathers would likely be amazed at the scientific and cultural progress we've made since our nation's founding, people's reaction to the coronavirus notwithstanding. They'd be amazed that we sent a man to the moon. They'd be amazed at this motley collection of 13 colonies that barely had the population of metro Atlanta, essentially had the economy and the science to send a man to the moon. They'd be amazed that we liberated Europe from fascism using the ideals of the Enlightenment. And I'll tell you something that amazes me when I think about the aftermath of World War II. We literally invaded Europe, conquered fascism, and essentially left. No other conquering empire has done that. None of the conquering empires ever voluntarily left land which they conquered. That's amazing. But let me try to bring the focus back to that man in that Walmart. Why was he running into the store like that? Why did he feel the need to tackle, basically, you know, the employees? What was he thinking? Well, I don't know, and I don't know what he would be thinking about the Enlightenment. And I don't know what was going on with him. I don't know mentally, emotionally what was going on with him. But I do know this. I do know that that was an un-American thing. It was un-American, essentially, to tackle somebody and try to get into a store, basically, while these people were trying to get him to wear a mask. That's just, it's un-American that he thought, no, I, I, I don't need to pay attention to these people. You know, they're not the boss of me. Well, no, they're not the boss of you, sir. But you know what? We do things every single day for the benefit of people that are not the boss of us. For those of you with cat allergies, like myself, you know that if you have friends that have cats, if they really care about you, they put the cat up because... You're, you're just not going to be having fun when you go over to their house because your cat allergies are going to be acting up. Well, this coronavirus is a heck of a lot more serious than a cat allergy. And I'm pretty sure that if he had a friend or loved one with a cat allergy, he'd probably put the cat up. So I guess I want to ask the question, why exactly did he do what he did? Well, I don't know, but I think it had to do with why I say it was un-American that he tackled those people. It was un-American that he tackled those people because the Founding Fathers basically wanted us to think for ourselves. They wanted us to take in the expert opinions and think for ourselves. Well, that man at the Walmart probably thinks, you know, I don't need to think for myself because... Basically, the leader of my party says that I don't need to wear a mask. Whoever the leader of his party is, be it the governor or the president or whoever in his mind. Well, the founding fathers, again, told us to think for ourselves. They thought thinking for yourself was essential for a republic. 
George Washington warned against partisanship. And this is why he warned against partisanship, because it would seep into the civil life of the country and it would affect people's judgment. And he told us that this was going to happen. And, you know, he was right. George Washington was absolutely right, I got to say, that guess what? People are affected by partisanship, what he called factionalism. They're affected by it, and it seeps into our daily lives. And in season two of the History Voyager, I want to talk about the Enlightenment and how basically the Enlightenment has been under siege for a very long time from either side of the political spectrum. And I don't think that's good. And I think at the end of season two of the History Voyager, you're going to think it's as bad as I do. And maybe we're going to disagree politically, you know, and we should because that's, that's America. America is disagreeing politically and yet somehow being neighbors and friendly with each other anyway. Anyway, this was kind of a extended, I guess, trailer or whatever for season two of the History Voyager. Also, sort of my Andy Rooney rant, if you know who Andy Rooney was. Um, the music you're about to hear is that of Andrew Vickery. And I hope you have a really good day, because I certainly am. All right. Bye-bye.